pouring and you're going, there's no turning back now. Then it started pouring and you're going, oh man, we got to make it. So uh, God bless you guys for making it here and through the rain. If you have your Bibles, we are going to continue our study, verse by verse study through the Gospel of Matthew. We're in Matthew chapter 19 this morning. We're going to be looking at the first 12 verses. If anyone needs a Bible, just raise your hand and Dan will get up and get them for you and, and uh <laughs> I like to volunteer random people from the church to get up and get Bibles for anybody that needs it. Anybody need a Bible, just raise your hand. Oh, well, sorry, Dan, you don't get to be used today. Sorry. <laughs> On a side note, my daughter's engaged to that young man right there, and so praise the Lord. Yeah. Blessed to have him a part of our family. Well, will be when they get married. <laughs> Until then. Anyway, we are here to study God's Word. <laughs> Matthew chapter 19. Let's read the first nine verses here. It says, Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes followed him and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, is it lawful for men to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced, commits adultery. Let's stop right there for right now. The title of my message this morning is, Holy Matrimony, Batman. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning, this opportunity to be in your word. We know, Lord, that it's your design, your plan to speak to our hearts as we open up your word. And so, Lord, our part is just to be attentive to all that you have to say to us this morning. We do pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that has joined us that is yet to know you as their Lord and as their Savior, you would touch their heart today, Lord. We pray your blessing upon our kids downstairs as they're being ministered to, taught your word as well that we might glorify you with our lives, we pray. Bless this time, we pray. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. The story of a man who attended a church for some 25 years, was respected and a leader in the church, and he came to his pastor and says, Pastor, this is kind of heavy in my heart. I, I've got something to tell you. I've never told this to a soul, and, it, and it's extremely embarrassing, but I need to tell you. My wife and I have had a fight every single day for the past 30 years of our marriage. The pastor's like, whoa, I mean, he's just taken back. He doesn't know what to say, praying time to gather his thoughts. And he said, every, every day? And the man said, yes, every day. Did you do it today before you came to church? Yes. Well, how did it end up? Well, she came crawling to me on her hands and knees. What did she say? Come out from under the bed, you coward, and fight like a man. <laughs> Bam, pow, shazam. I mean, it's holy matrimony, Batman. One more story that I liked, but first service didn't, but I thought it was funny. Just heads up, begging for the laugh before we get to the end of the story. No. 
Another story of a married couple that had a quarrel and ended up giving each other the silent treatment. They didn't say two words to each other. Uh, two days into their mute argument, the man realized, that it, realized he needed his wife's help to uh, uh, catch a flight to Chicago for a business meeting the following morning at 5 a.m. Not wanting to be the first one to break the silence, he wrote on a piece of paper, please wake me up at 5 a.m. Well, the next morning, the man woke up only to discover his wife was already out of bed. It was 9 a.m. and his flight has long, you know, since departed. He's about to find his wife and demand an answer for her not waking him up. When he noticed a piece of paper on the side of the bed that said, it's 5 a.m., wake up. (laughs) See, I like that one better than the first one, but it's all right. Marriage and divorce, that's the subject that we're going to look at this morning. Now, I love how, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Matthew has laid out his gospel. We just studied in Matthew chapter 18, which talked about having a childlike heart and keeping ourselves humble. We talked about accountability and willing to correct and be corrected. And then we closed off the chapter by talking about forgiveness and how many times we should forgive. But then immediately into chapter 19, God starts to talk about marriage. I think it's just like uh, the heart of God to maintain a flow throughout the chapters. Because marriage needs from time to time childlike humility. It needs a continuing to forgive 70 times 7. It needs a willingness to be corrected. I think it fits in perfect here because of all those traits are important for a good, healthy marriage. Now as we come to chapter 19, Jesus is making his way eventually towards Jerusalem. He's, he's going down from Galilee down towards Judea. He's going to be in an area called Perea for several months before he ends up in Jerusalem. And it will be his final trip to Jerusalem leading to his crucifixion. So we read now, look at verse 1. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes followed him and he healed them there. Now, as Jesus is healing these multitudes, the Pharisees, on the other hand, they're, you know, trying to figure out a way to trip Jesus up, to trap him up. Obviously, they had no idea who they were dealing with, but they think that they can get him tripped up on the whole subject of marriage and divorce. Now, if you're taking notes, we're going to see actually five things this morning. What man says on marriage and divorce what God says on marriage and divorce, what Moses says on marriage and divorce, what Jesus says on marriage and divorce, and we'll close up with what Paul says on marriage and divorce. Number one, what man says on marriage and divorce. What's the world's view? Now, here is where the Pharisees thought they had Jesus. Look at verse 3. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? You know, I think, when will these guys ever learn? I mean, you read all throughout Scripture that, that, that Jesus knew what they were thinking before they even said anything. And so they can't trap him, but they never got it. So they come up to Jesus this time and they go, Let, let's, let's trap him. You know I mean, let's trip him up. Let's put him to, to the test. Let's ask him a question about marriage and divorce. Man, that, that's a, a, a certain current controversy as much as it is today. And listen, we know the world certainly has its view on marriage and divorce. To date, 29 out of the 195 countries in the world have legalized same-sex marriages. On June 26, 2015, we know our U.S. Supreme Court struck down all state bans on same-sex marriages, legalizing them in all 50 states. Let me share this. Homosexual behavior is just one of many sins that God forgives and brings people out of. 
Despite the attempts of different groups to shut down that life-changing message, people do leave the homosexual lifestyle. And if you look throughout God's Word and history, you'll find people who left all different kinds of lifestyle to follow Jesus Christ and have their lives transformed as a result. That's the message of the Gospel. Although we are made in the image of God, our lives are desperately marred by sin. Jesus came to earth to teach and model what life without sin looks like. He also came to die and pay the cost of our sin, bringing forgiveness and grace to all who call upon the name of the Lord. But you see, the world looks at at marriage completely different. If you check the headlines from time to time, I I recently read in November of 2018, a Japanese man married a computer-generated hologram. Nuts. Gets worse. December of 2017, a Chinese man married a robot he built himself. 2016, a 65-year-old New York man married a 12-year-old little girl. And then in 2010 of May, a man from India married his dog. Ridiculous. Listen, God has given to all mankind certain things for the welfare of the human family and the procreation of life and a marriage between one man and one woman is God's plan. It is God's design. But man has twisted it in, into something God had never intended it to be. Now let me say, the same thing is true for divorce. Go ahead and Google the word divorce on there and, and or what it costs for divorce and it'll say $139. That's the thing that came up first on the list. Now if you're divorced, you know that it's not the case. But, but that's what came up first. The world's view on divorce is, hey, let's get married. If it doesn't work out, we'll just get a divorce. You know, and they push that. I think of the old 1975 hit by Paul Simon, just slip out the back jack, make a new plan, stand. No need to discuss much. You know, just, what is it? Just drop off the key lead, set yourself free. I mean, that, that's the idea today. That's the world's view. There must be 50 ways to leave your lover. In a book written back in 1979, 1979 called Divorce, How Would Win to Let Go?, This is a world's view of divorce by John and Nancy Adams. It says this, and I quote, Your marriage can wear out. People change their values and lifestyles. People want to experience new things, and and change is a part of life. Change and personal growth are traits for which you you should be proud of. Indicative of vital searching minds, you must accept the reality that in today's multifaceted world, it is especially easy for two persons to grow apart. Letting go of your marriage, if it is no longer good for you, can be the most successful thing that you've ever done. Getting a divorce can be a positive problem-solving, growth-oriented step. It can be a personal triumph. I never read such hogwash in all my life. But look where it's gotten us today. The divorce rate has risen in the past century 700% in our country. 700%. That's incredible proportions. There's an estimated to be one divorce out of every 1.8 marriages. So it's over 50%. That's the average in our country. I like what John Stott responded to that quote. He said this, Here is the secular mind and all its shameless perversity. It celebrates failure as success, disintegration as growth, and disaster as triumph. Listen, the issue of marriage and divorce and remarriage was a hot controversy in Jesus' day. And there was a couple schools of thought proposed by two influential, influential rabbis at that time. Kind of fueled the debate. Hillel was a liberal rabbi who said that according to the law of Moses, there was all sorts of reasons you can get divorced. Needless to say, Hillel was a great, had a great following among those looking for ways out of their marriages. 
On the other hand, the Rabbi Shemai was, was very conservative and virtually said there was no grounds for divorce. And so the debate concerning divorce and remarriage was all heated as it is in the church today. But rather than fall into the little trap, the little tricks, Jesus doesn't go back to Halal or Shemai, not even to Moses. Instead, Jesus goes all the way back to the beginning. And that brings us to our second point, what God says on marriage and divorce. He says in verse 4, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? I mean, he goes right back to the very beginning, back to the book of Genesis. God made them male and female. Marriage is between one man and one woman, male, female. He's quoting uh, in verse 5, Genesis 2.24. Verse 5, it says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. I like the old King James Version better of that verse. And uh, he said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they twain shall be one flesh. Leaving and cleaving are the operative words. Leaving means you're no longer under the authority of your parents, but now building your own life together as a family. But leaving also implies giving other relationships a lesser degree of importance. Now, you can still have friends, obviously, but but what about best friends? Listen, your best friend should be your spouse. And of course, you can certainly have other friends, but... Just on a practical note, I mean, having uh, friends who are members of the opposite sex can be problematic at best and potentially destructive at worst. I mean, especially for, for guys, I mean, let's get real. For a guy who's married to say, well, I just like hanging out with this other girl. We're just, she's just a pal. There's nothing to it. Okay, open your eyes. Understand that most adulterous situations happen through just casual relationships and not mere sexual attraction. That, that usually comes later. So be very, very careful is what I'm saying. And and let me say again, your best friend should be your husband. Your best friend should be your wife. That's what Scripture teaches. See, Jesus goes all the way back to the very beginning when God created Eve from Adam and said, it's not good that man should be alone. And God brought Eve to Adam to fill that void in his life. And here's a key verse that emphasizes the importance of that intimacy in the marriage relationship between husband and wife. It's found in Malachi chapter 2, verse 14. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. That word companion means one you are united with in thoughts, goals, plans, efforts. Listen, are you united with your wife in that way, husbands? 1 Corinthians 7.3 tells us, let, us let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to the husband. Listen, if you're not united, if you're not companioned, it's going to hurt you in many ways, especially husbands towards their wives. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3.7, husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of God, that your prayers may not be hindered. Listen, if you don't have a, a right relationship with your wife, your prayers, guys, can be hindered. If you don't dwell with them with understanding, you say, well, I dwell with my wife. We live in the same house. We say hello at breakfast. Isn't that enough? No. Actually, it isn't because the word there that is used for dwell could be translated to be aligned to and give maintenance to. Does that surprise you that you need to give maintenance to your marriage to keep it strong? 
we maintain our cars, right? I mean, we change the oil and, and, and we put coolant in it. What happens if you don't maintain your car? Well, it can break down. You maintain gardens, you know, you water it, you pull the weeds out of it. Well, you know, if you don't maintain it, your garden can be overrun with weeds. What happens to your marriage if you neglect it? Your marriage could have problems. You need to give it maintenance to your marriage. Do checkups on your marriage. Ask your spouse, how am I doing? Kind of like the, the bumper stickers you see on those uh, delivery trucks. How am I driving? You know, call this phone number. How am I doing? Is there anything more I can do to bless you in our marriage to serve you better? Am I being the husband you want me to be? Am I being the wife that you want me to be? Give attention to your marriage. If you neglect it, problems will develop. That's what the scripture is telling us. Marriage needs to have that bond between the husband and the wife. So there's that leaving. But also, Jesus says, there's that, that cleaving. Now, when we, when we hear that word cleave, you might think of a meat cleaver. That's not what it's talking about here. The word cleave is from a Hebrew word that speaks of adhering to or sticking together. To be attached by some strong tie. And, and the verb uh, suggests a determined action. So it's not that you're, oh, I'm just stuck with, with this woman. You're, you know, you're just sticking together. No, it, it's like you're climbing a mountain. You're holding on to the side of it. It's a determined action. Man, I want to stick close to you. And that's what you're doing with your spouse. You're holding on to each other. Not stuck with, but holding on to, happily holding on to. There's nothing passive about it. In fact, even when you come to the New Testament and the use of the word, they use a word that means to cement together and stick like glue. To be welded together. So the two cannot be separated without serious damage done to both. And that's true. When a marriage is broken apart, there's serious damage. That's why God says, well, God is put together that no man put asunder. See, Jesus is, is endorsing the permanence of marriage. He's pointing out that those that are preoccupied with the issue of divorce, that it's never been God's plan, it was never God's design, and divorce certainly was not God's purpose for marriage. In fact, Malachi chapter 2, verse 16, and the New Living Translation tells us this, For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. That's why Jesus goes on to say in verse 6, So then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. So God's view on marriage, He hates divorce. And what He has joined together, don't separate. Now the Pharisees, at this time, they're still thinking they've got Jesus trapped. They're still thinking they're going to trip him up. So they're going, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, God has joined together. Let not man separate. Well, we get that. But, but what about Moses? What about Moses? What he said? Look at verse 7. They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? Now, they're referring to Deuteronomy chapter 24. They didn't get that Jesus went all the way back to the very beginning before Deuteronomy, before Moses, but they're referring to Deuteronomy 24 because uh, uh, that's where it talks about there. And, 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 I, and I love that Jesus, you know, is patient and long-suffering and takes the time to answer their question more specifically. And that brings us to point number three, what Moses says on marriage and divorce. Again, it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 24. You can turn there if you want. We'll put the verses up on the screen. But for those of you that have never read the book of Deuteronomy, do you know that Jesus quoted that book more than any other book uh, in the Old Testament? Now, 
The Pharisees thought they had the Lord trapped. Aha, you say they, uh, that we shouldn't divorce our wives, but Moses, the lawgiver, he commanded us to give a writing of divorcement to send her away. Well, not exactly. Look at what Moses actually said on the subject of divorce. Look at verse 1 of Deuteronomy 24. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of the house. When she has departed from his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, now, we're seeing here that, that there's permission to remarry if the first husband divorces her. But notice the word if, verse 3, but if the latter husband detests her and writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand and sends her out of this house, or if the latter husband dies who took her as his wife, then her former husband who divorced her must not take her back to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. Now, we don't have time to you know, spend a lot of time to spend in Deuteronomy, but there are a few things I want to point out in this passage. The first thing is that Moses gave only one commandment, and that's found in verse 4. The divorced wife could not return to her first husband if, if she was divorced from her second husband. Moses, nowhere in that section do we see command divorce. He did not require divorce. He did not recommend divorce. He did not even sanction divorce. All Moses is trying to do is to put restrictions on it to give them guidelines. And the purpose was twofold. The husband would think twice before hastily putting away his wife. Since she couldn't come back again, you know, you know, the guy puts away his wife and, and you know, he gets married and the, the girl's a, a terrible cook and he doesn't want to be with her, puts her away. I want the first one back. You can't do that. So it's going to make you want to think about it. And then secondly, in this law of Moses, it would take a long time to find a scribe to write a public document granting this woman the, the right to remarry without civil or religious sanction. And so that they'd have to think about it a really long time. It was preventing quick divorces. The husband had to, had to think twice before hastily putting away his wife since he could not come back to him again. And, and I too would recommend, listen, think long and hard and pray before you get a divorce. Try and understand all the implications and all that's involved. Too many times people think that divorce is just this quick remedy to solve all the problems. Well, we're not getting along there. Let's get a divorce. Hey, do you ever think that God wants to change your heart? Maybe he wants to teach you to get along, to, to put aside your pride and your ego and humbling yourself like a child and really doing something to make your marriage work. So what this law would do is to slow people down. The man would have to realize, okay, if I divorce this woman, I can't have her back, so I better be sure about the decision and be slow about it. Now you may say, well, what about the phrase in verse 1 of Deuteronomy 24 where it says that they can divorce if he has found some uncleanness in her? What does that word uncleanness mean in verse 1? Do you want to know what it means? Sure you do. Here's the answer. We don't know. Okay. The word means something indecent. That's what it means. Now some guy may interpret that, you know, well, that, that's an indecent way to fry an egg. I can't believe that you scramble that egg that way. That is so indecent. I'm out of here. I'm divorcing you. And they did that kind of thing. They interpreted this so broadly that we really don't know what that means. Even Hebrew scholars admit they can't be absolutely sure of all that's involved. Some think it meant moral uncleanness. Some said sexual impurity. But it just literally means some uncleanness or something indecent. Now some feel like it, it referenced adultery. 
But the interesting thing is at that time they had a law for adultery. It was punishable by death through stoning. So they really didn't need a law that said your wife can get a divorce or husband can get a divorce because of adultery when they already had it covered. You'd be stoned to death. And aren't you glad we don't have that law today? I mean, if you got caught committing adultery, you put to death, we'd lose a quarter of our population. But pray the Lord for His grace and His mercy. I think of the woman that, that got caught in adultery there in John chapter 8 and, and caught in the very act. And the Pharisees once again, you know, said, Moses and the law commands that she should be stoned. What do you say? Trying to trick Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And they all began to leave one after another because, man, they knew where they stood. And there's that woman standing alone. And Jesus said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Don't you love that Jesus brings grace and forgiveness and, and mercy into our lives? So to argue uncleanness is exactly what it meant, is rather unfoolish. Now, in the context of Deuteronomy, only the man had the right to divorce. But if he divorced his wife and married another, and she didn't iron as good as the first one, he couldn't get her back, too bad, too late. If he married a second wife, again, and she wasn't a good cook, he couldn't say, oh, I want to go back to the first wife. That apple pie of hers was just out of this world. Nope, not going to happen. Moses says you can't have her back. Defiles the land, this marriage and divorce, marriage and divorce, marriage and divorce. That's what he's talking about here. I mean, this will keep going on and on and on. We've seen that today in our culture. I mean, the celebrities, it's an all display. You know, I think Larry King has eight marriages. The late Zaza, Zaza Gabor had nine marriages. George Foreman had five marriages. Just over and over and over again. Listen, if you're having marriage difficulties, before you give up and head for divorce court, seek biblical marriage counseling. Now, I don't want to make anybody anger at me while teaching on the subject of divorce, but let me say this. You don't need a psychologist, Okay. What you need is someone who knows the Bible and is filled with the Spirit of God to share with you what God's Word says on your situation. The Bible contains everything we need for life and for godliness. But there are those, oh, Pastor Tom, you don't understand our hurts and our griefs. They're so deep. It goes beyond God's Word. God, we need more, we need more than what God can do for us. Listen, there's something terribly wrong with a statement like that. What more can man do if God can't help you? You need God. You need His Word. We need His Holy Spirit. You need reconciliation. More and more people seem to forget Henry Ford's sound advice when asked on his 50th wedding anniversary for his rule for marital bliss and longevity. He replied, just the same as in the automobile business, stick to one model. I like that. God here is not encouraging divorce. He's not commanding divorce. He's not telling people to get a divorce. He's simply telling them if they do get a divorce, this is the procedure they should follow. Now, back to Matthew 19. We're going to move on from what Moses said to point number four, what Jesus said on marriage and divorce. And here in verse eight, Jesus will answer them and give them a reason that Moses gave the law. Verse eight, Jesus speaking says, He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts permitted... He says permitted, not, not suggested, not commanded, but permitted you to divorce your wives. And notice how he closed. But from the beginning it was not so. Jesus wants to make it clear. Moses did not command, but only allowed divorce. I love how Jesus carefully 
uses his words. And in essence, he's saying, hey, Moses never commanded you to get a divorce. Remember, the only command back in Deuteronomy 24 was that you can't have her back if, if she left. That's the command. No command to get a divorce. But you see, they did, they were doing what many people do today, and that is they, they look at scriptures and they try and twist them to fit their own views. Many people will read into God's word to get it to say what they want it to say. And, and especially when it comes to divorce, I need to find a, a verse on, on divorce, something that, that God allows me to get a divorce. And they'll take a scripture, and they'll take it out of context, and they'll try and make it fit. It's called Jesus. It, it, it's an interpretation of a passage based on subjective, non-analytical reading. The word eisegesis literally means to lead into, which means the reader injects his own ideas into the text, making it mean whatever he wants it to mean. And again, uh, people especially do this when it comes to the subject of marriage and divorce to try and find some verse to get them out of a bad marriage. What they need to do instead is what's called exegesis, it's the exposition or explanation of a text based on careful, objective analysis. The word exegesis literally means to lead out of. That means that the reader is led to his conclusions by following the text. In other words, don't read into the Bible, but let God speak to you from the Bible, and then you be obedient to the Bible. See, Jesus selected his words very carefully. Moses allowed you. He didn't command you. And then he gave the reason why in verse 8, because of the hardness of your hearts. Is that not the bottom line why Christians get divorced today? Why marriages have problems? Because the hardness of their hearts. What else could it be? You won't repent of your sin and perhaps the other person won't forgive you and, and they completely ignore chapter 18 and the childlike humility and repentance and forgiving 70 times 7 and everything that, everything that Jesus was teaching and instead their heart just gets harder and harder. And that's really all it takes for a marriage to end a divorce. One or both of you to harden your heart towards God, towards the Holy Spirit, towards His Word, and towards each other. It's a deterioration of the spiritual heart. To say, I don't care what God says, I don't care what happens, this marriage is no longer good for me, I want out. Let me say this again, divorce is not and it has never been God's purpose or plan for marriage. And again at verse 8, Jesus says, but from the beginning it was never God's will, purpose, or plan. You see... As Christians, the higher our concept of marriage and the family, the more devastating the experience of divorce becomes. I mean, why is it that the world is so flippant about divorce? Why is it that they think it's no big deal? Because they have such a low view on marriage. We've lost the sanctity of marriage. We've lost the understanding that it's a, it is a divine institution. God ordained it way back there in, the, in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, before sin ever came into the world. God ordained marriage between, between one man and one woman. It's a purpose is for oneness, for unity, for permanence. Marriage is until death do us part. Divorce is always a tragedy and we need to understand that. Let me say, but Pastor Tom, are there not no exceptions? Do you mean if I married a person and I find out that they're just a horrible person, does that mean I'm stuck with them for the rest of my life? Is there no out? Does the scripture give us no basis at all for divorce? Well, Jesus gives us one. Look in verse 9. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Now when Jesus says, I say unto you, he was claiming to be God, for only God can establish or alter the laws of marriage. But Jesus says, there's one exception, sexual immorality. Now what does that mean? Well, it comes from the Greek word pornea. 
Guess what English word we get from that word? Pornography. Pornographic. And it's not an easy word to define because it has a very broad meaning. It speaks of extramarital sexual relations, obviously, adultery. But it also includes incest, prostitution, homosexuality. Why is immorality a deal breaker in marriage potentially? Because it violates that oneness between man a man and his wife. That bond has been broken and it is established in another. So if adultery has been committed, there is an allowance for divorce. However, that doesn't mean that there should necessarily be a divorce. I have counseled couples where there has been unfaithfulness and often it's a husband being unfaithful, but lately it's been wives as well. They're unfaithful to their husbands. But we always should encourage forgiveness. Yes, adultery is grounds for divorce, but it's also grounds for forgiveness. And yes, trust has been broken and it may take years to get it back and it's very damaging, but you can survive. Now don't get me wrong, I'm in no way rationalizing anything, but sometimes you have to consider the circumstances. If it was a one-time event and it came out and there has been repentance and a desire to keep the marriage together, it's a little bit different than a man or a woman who is a serial adulterer who has been unfaithful to the spouse for 10 years consecutively or has multiple things going on. Then it becomes a problem. But Jesus certainly gave this allowance in morality and faithfulness. And I would absolutely say that in all honesty, the hardest thing I've seen as a Christian, as a pastor, the most painful thing is to see the effects of an adulterous relationship. To see the hurt that people go through when that happens. It would be easier to bury a faithful spouse in a grave than to have to deal with an adulterous relationship. It's horrible, it's wicked, it's terrible, and it's absolutely devastating to the children and everyone involved. That's why God's goal is that we forgive and that we seek restoration. Now, what do you do if you're married to an unbeliever and they don't want to be married to you anymore and they abandon the relationship? They bail, they skip, they, you know, hop on a bus. Gus, what do you do? That brings us to our final point. What Paul says of marriage and divorce. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You can turn there if you want. We'll get the verses on the screen. It starts in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 12, Paul writes, But to the rest I, not the Lord, say, If any brother has a wife who does not believe, and she's willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he's willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. Jesus never addressed the issue of abandonment, but Paul does. Let me say it's not just Paul's advice. This is the inspired word of God, so this is the Lord speaking to us. Here Paul says first, first of all, don't divorce your spouse simply because they're an unbeliever. I mean, let's say you're married to a a, a non-Christian guy. And you know he loves you, he wants to stay in the marriage, but he's not a Christian. So you go to church, he stays at home, and you meet this wonderful Christian man who loves God and is single and says, boy, I, I wish we could get married. He says, oh yeah, I do so. You know, I think the Lord's speaking to me. In fact, he, he's speaking to me right now. He's saying, my child, dump that heathen dog of a husband and marry this wonderful Christian man at church. Well, I can assure you, God is not saying that to you. Because of verse 12 and 13, God says, if that unbeliever is content to dwell with you, then stay with him. You may say, well, he doesn't share my values. Well, you should have thought of that before you married him. Well, he got, I got saved after we got married. Okay, so? Well, he's not saved yet. Okay, well, pray for him. He's now your ministry. Your goal is to reach him and, and try to win him to Christ. It's not to dissolve your marriage. You don't have grounds for divorce. Because verse 14 
says the first Corinthians seven, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband, otherwise your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. So the Christian spouse is a channel of God's grace to their spouse and to their children. Sanctified doesn't mean that your spouse and children are automatically saved. It's no guarantee they'll get saved. A word means set apart. It means they're now set apart to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ displayed through your life. You become a source of spiritual blessing to them. Now, what if your unbelieving spouse wants to still split, wants to leave the scene, wants to abandon that relationship? Paul answers that in verse 15. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. You can't prevent an unbelieving spouse from divorcing you, from abandoning you. Now, you should try to keep peace with your spouse and remain married, but marriage is a mutual commitment, and if they break it, there's nothing you can do to remain married. Paul says you're not under bondage any longer to maintain that marriage. In fact, you're free to remarry. Now, because we can go on and on and on about the subject, and I probably would still not answer all of your questions, but let me close with a few questions that I can pose that, that we haven't covered in the text so far. First one, what if you divorce? What if you divorce for the wrong reason? It's simple. Ask God to forgive you. Divorce is not an unpardonable sin. You know, sometimes we treat it that way. Let me say that again. Divorce is not an unpardonable sin. And let me say this. If you've never been divorced, don't have an attitude to look down upon those that have been divorced. Bible says, old things have passed away, all things become new. As far as the east is from the west, God has put our sins from us. He said, uh, he said just as I've forgiven you, so you should forgive one another. Treat them with love and respect and acceptance. Next question. Well, what if you divorced for the wrong reasons and now you have remarried? Are you still living in adultery today? I mean, Jesus did say if you go out and remarry, you commit adultery. That's a very, very difficult thing. And that is what Jesus said. Now, with that said, I do believe that, that where there is divorce and remarriage, there is inevitably a tearing away of a previous relationship and a coming together of a new relationship. Thus, there is that act of adultery. Jesus doesn't say, however, that although there is that act of adultery, the person who remains uh, remarries continues to live the rest of her life in that sin of adultery. No, the adultery was already said and done. The sin was committed. It's over. There's forgiveness. There's grace. Now, that certainly doesn't mean, and under no circumstances shall you say, well, I'll just get a divorce and ask God to forgive me when it's all done. <laughs> That's a dangerous place to be in. And I certainly would not recommend it. Because that will take us right back to Matthew 18 and dealing with a sinning brother or sister who refuses to repent and have to face church discipline besides breaking the heart of God. Next question. What if your husband is physically abusive to you. Listen, if you become a punching bag for your husband, he has broken that commitment to you. He has, he has severed that relationship with you. And it proves that he's not willing to stay with you. And I would certainly have no, I'd have to question your salvation. Get out of there. Don't, don't be a punching bag for someone. Finally, let's close with this. After hearing all of this about marriage and divorce and, and all of that, the disciples, no doubt their heads are spinning. So they say to Jesus, look at verse 10, verses 10 to 12. His disciples said to him, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, all cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born thus far from their mother's womb, 
and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He was able to accept it. Let him accept it. So what is our Lord saying here? Well, the disciples, after hearing all this about marriage and divorce, they're saying, isn't it just better to stay single the rest of your life and not get married? She says, that's what I'm saying. Sounds great. But you can't do that unless you've been called to that. Unless you've been equipped to do that. You need a, a, a gift to be able to handle that kind of voluntary celibacy. He's not denying what they're saying. He's saying, I agree with you, but not everybody can accept that. Not everybody is called to that. Finally, the last question I want to pose is, what if you've never been married? Praise God. Rejoice. No, no. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. I absolutely love being married and I absolutely adore my wife. But praise God because you have the opportunity to start things right in your marriage relationship. You're at that place where you can say, Lord, give me your direction. Give me your guidance. Help me to marry a godly person. Help me to be slow about rushing into marriage and help me to know that you've called us together. That we have goals that are equal and that we are like-minded and how we deliver lives. And that, God, you come first and foremost in my life above anyone and anything else. Listen, if you haven't gotten married and if you're not divorced, then praise the Lord. You get to start right. You get to lay down a right foundation. Now, if you ever remodel the house, you know that, that a lot of times it would be a lot easier just to start from scratch. What a blessing it is to start and say, Lord, here I am. Lead me, guide me, help me to marry in your will and have a godly relationship. Find a godly wife, a godly husband. I heard about a guy who wasn't married yet and he was trying to find the perfect girl and it was really hard to get his parents to to agree to it. So he brought a young lady home and his mother didn't like her. He proceeded to bring home a second girl. The mother didn't like her either. So he goes and he finds a girl that looks just like his mom, that talks like his mom, that walks like his mom, and he brings her home. Well, the father didn't like her. <laughs> Listen, I realize that I've probably raised more questions than I've answered, and I've probably touched on some very sensitive points here. But I do pray that wherever you're at, that you would experience God's very best in your life. So whether you find yourself today single or married or divorced or remarried or engaged, that you know that God wants to bless for you and to lift you to the highest level uh, uh, that you allow Him to. He can restore the canker worm, the years the canker worm has eaten. He can give you beauty for ashes. He can give you the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. He can forgive, He can cleanse, He can restore, He can heal, He can bring a godly spouse or maid into your life, He can bring a godly spouse or maid into your life a second time. He can do wonderful things if you'll seek Him and honor Him and obey Him. But you've got to know Him, first and foremost. He's got to be first in your life. And if He's not, as soon as we're done here in just a moment, you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, come up and talk to one of the elders here. We'd love to pray with you and give you a Bible. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time this morning, Lord. Thank you for your word, because it truly does have everything we need to live a life of godliness and holiness. And Lord, when it comes to the subject of marriage and divorce, we thank you, Lord, that your grace covers it all. We thank you that you're a loving God, and you want what's absolutely the best for us. And Father, I do pray for the marriages in this church that you would bless them that you would make them stronger and stronger, Lord, as they seek to please you first with their lives. I know, Lord, that you would bring blessing between each of them together. So bless the marriages in this church. Lord, thank you for our wives. Thank you for our husbands, if you're a wife here. 
Lord, for those that are single here, I pray your blessing upon them, Lord. What, what a blessing it is for them to be able to focus all their hearts and minds on you, Lord. But I know also that it can be a time of struggle, time of anticipation, Lord. I pray just your, your special blessing upon those that are single here. Thank you for our time together this morning, Lord. Again, Lord, if there's anyone here that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you, I pray, Father, that they would see their need to repent and turn from their sin and turn to you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That's all.